Good evening, everybody. My name is Andrea, and on behalf of the Marion Library Service, I'd like to say a really big welcome and a really big thank you to, to you all for being here with us tonight for our very special Meet the Author Publishing Your First Novel panel. So we're very excited and pleased to have you with us. Before proceeding, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that we meet tonight on the traditional lands of the Ghana people and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So it gives me great pleasure now to introduce tonight's incredible guests who will be speaking about their early experiences of writing and publication. I'm going to give you a heads up, this is an extremely long introduction, so settle in. We have a very accomplished panel with us tonight. So I'd like to introduce Victoria Perman. Uh, Victoria is an internationally best-selling author whose recent work has explored the lives, careers, friendships and hopes of women at pivotal moments in history with great compassion. Her most recent novel, A Woman's Work, was published by HarperCollins earlier this year and you can actually listen to her have a chat about her fantastic novel on our Literary Anything podcast, which we encourage you to do. I'd also like to take a moment to introduce Tricia Stringer. Tricia is a best-selling and multiple award-winning author. Her work includes historical sagas, rural romances and examinations of friendship and family life, with particular attention paid to the landscapes of South Australia. Her next novel, Back on Track, will be released by HarperCollins in October and it includes one of my favourite settings for a novel, A Train. So look out for that one. I would also now like to introduce Sean Williams. Sean Williams, and you can pick the trend tonight, is also an award-winning and best-selling author <laughs> of over 60 books and 120 short stories for adults, teens and children. He is one of Australia's leading writers of speculative fiction who, in addition to his own incredible original work, has also contributed to the world of Star Wars and Doctor Who, which pretty much, according to my son, makes him the coolest person ever. <laughs> As if that wasn't enough, Sean is also a senior lecturer in creative writing at Flinders University, and his most recent novel, Her Perilous Mansion, was published by Alan and Unwin. We are also very, very pleased to be joined tonight by our wonderful hosts, Sarah Martin and Kath Keneally. From the excellent podcast for book lovers, Sunduku. So for anyone who is a book lover and would like to know a little bit more about what's happening both locally and internationally, it's a great podcast for you to listen to. Kath is also a celebrated poet and novelist whose most recent poetry collection, The Southern Oscillation Index, was published by Wakefield Press. Sarah is incredibly accomplished herself with her background in journalism, radio and arts publicity and she's currently a producer at ABC Adelaide and does the marketing for the Gov Hotel in the city as well. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this incredible panel. We will have some time at the end for Q&A and we also have our wonderful booksellers from Mostly Books at the front. So the nights are long and dreary and cold so we encourage you to pick up lots of books on your way out and the authors will also be doing some signing. So Thank you again for coming and um, enjoy the panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. And uh, thank you all for coming. And Sarah and I are going to go back and forth with questions. But like a fine game of tennis, we'll just... I was thinking stereo. Yeah, we should vary it. <laughs> we might, a little bit. Yeah. And uh, if you guys want to just pick up the ball and run with it, uh, please do. We, we don't want it to be too mechanical. 
But uh, it is wonderful to see so many people turn out. And I wonder whether that means that you all have a book that you've, um, you're hoping to publish. It could be. Could be. I imagine at least half of you. Hands up, please. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. Awesome. See? Fantastic. That's what we like to see. So you will be uh, extremely interested in the answers, I hope, to the, the questions that we have prepared. <laughs> I thought we would start by asking the authors, perhaps one by one, to think back if they can. And that might be, might be difficult. In Sean's case, we did canvas. Because I'm so old. Is that what you're saying? Because <laughs> he's been writing for so long since he was three. And <laughs> we, we, we were trying to do this in the green room. I don't know how we'll go. But think back to the very early drafts of your first published book and what that published book was, and maybe what was going on in your life at the time. Whoever would like to... We'll start with you, Sean, because oh, that okay. is <laughs> taking you away back. It was 1992, mm. and I started writing my fifth novel. The first four weren't published because they were absolutely terrible. And I started writing a book called Metal Fatigue, and... And I got bored halfway through it because I had planned it meticulously and I knew what the ending was and I got totally bored. I also tried to write it like I used to write short stories, which was to start writing it and then not stop until I'd finished. And back then I was a terrible smoker and I ate really badly and, and I would just smoke and smoke and drink coffee and smoke and drink coffee. And, and after a month of that I was almost dead. So I kind of had to stop. And I took a break and then came back to... Why should I send... Oh. We'll talk about marketing later, but that was my very first book and the, the early drafts kind of came out the way I'd hoped they would, i.e. they were much better than the previous books because they were terrible. Uh, were you doing anything else at the time except writing? Well, that's right. Uh, yes, I was working four part-time jobs a and I was studying part-time at university, so everything was a bit mad. But I, but I had a mild mental illness. I, I, I had a social anxiety, so I didn't like going out at all except to work. So I, I got in a lot of practice and while my friends had social lives, <laughs> which, which helped me a bit, but I had to get mentally well at some point, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Was that too frank an answer? Sorry. I remember those years very vividly, though, very strange and intense. Okay. We'll, we'll move along and see what the other people were doing back in their, live, their earlier lives when... <sighs> Oh, they were drafting the first book. Mine's a very long story and I'll cut it really short. I always loved reading, loved reading when I was a kid. And I had this fantastic high school teacher in years 10, 11 and 12, the same teacher, Peter Gallon Thomas, his name was at Seaton High School. And one year he set us an assignment to write a short story. And unbeknownst to the class, he sent them off to Woman's Day magazine now, back then, Woman's Day wasn't like it is now. It wasn't sort of full of gossip about, you know, the rules and blah, blah, blah. It was a, more like a craft, a little bit of celebrity gossip, cooking. It was a magazine aimed at women, but it wasn't full of terrible gossip. Anyway, so unbeknownst to me, my story was published and I got two... No, I got $100 for the publication of that story. And I'd have to tell you, freelance writers today will tell you it's about the same, I think. Yeah. Um, and did you sue your teacher for not giving, <laughs> for stealing your work? And yeah, no. no. So that was my first byline. I was 15. And it showed me that I could write. It was a tragic story about a young woman. And it was sort of based on... Well, we had a neighbour 
who were the lovely neighbours, they had an older daughter. And I imagined, what if that daughter got pregnant and killed the baby? No, she didn't do that, of course. But it was sort of from, my, from the young girl's point of view and this tragedy's happened next door and it got, got published. So what I did with my $100 was I went to Kmart and bought a typewriter. Awesome. Which you could back in Kmart in those days, down at West, <laughs> West Lakes. And I thought I'd become an author, but I didn't know anyone who was an author. There were no creative writing programs back then. or So I, I just wanted to write, but I didn't know how to do it. So I, I did a whole lot of other careers, but I never lost sight of that dream. And I would say to my husband, why aren't my books on the shelves whenever we'd go to a bookstore? And he'd say, because you haven't written it yet. <laughs> and so I, when I had a midlife crisis, I told you it was a long story. When I had a midlife crisis at 48, I thought, I'm going to write the book. And I did. And it got published. That's my long story short. (laughs) Tricia, drafting the first published book, what were you doing? What was going on? I was, we'd moved from Air Peninsula, where we'd spent most of our lives, to York Peninsula and experienced our first Cornish festival, Kunuit Luenda. And I was teaching and also a librarian in our school at the time. And what I realised was that there was nothing for the primary school age children to read on this festival that we were having. You know, what was the story behind it? And, you know, why were we doing it? And I just thought, well, I'd hung out with a lot, you know, I, I, whilst I never imagined that I was a writer, I've done a lot of writing in my time, you know, the angst-filled poetry when I was a teenager and, you know, all of all of the short bits for any magazine that, you know, I was involved with, any club that I was involved with, you know, a little thing to go in there. So I, I've always written, but I never imagined myself as a writer. But, you know, I just thought, well, I can write this book. You know, it's easy, isn't it? And that's when I discovered it wasn't so easy to write a book. And so I did a children's writing course and that dragged out forever and eventually I finished some books. They were accepted by a small publisher in Victoria. But in the meantime, I'd started writing, I'd seen a a short story competition for an adult book with a rural theme and that was right up my alley. I just thought that's something I'd really like to write. And so... I started writing that. I got to 30,000 words and checked the competition guidelines and it was a 3,000 word <laughs> limit. So that's when I realised I'm not only not a poet but I'm not a short story writer either. <laughs> so I kept going with that book. In the meantime, the children's books were accepted by a Victorian publisher and published and they promptly went broke. So that was the end of that. But that adult story, I sent it out to publishers, had no success, so I self-published it. And I went on to self-publish two more books and book number four. And sorry, at this time I'm teaching full-time three teenage children, you know, one computer we had in those days, one computer for us all to use. So I had to wait until they'd all finished with it before I could use it. So, yeah, by the time I was writing that fourth book, I was... At the crossroads, ready to give up. I just thought, "Mm, you know, why am I doing this? And talking to myself, the reason was because I I really enjoyed it. And so I really threw my heart and soul into that last book, got some more people on side, spoke to some people who could perhaps give it some creds going to a publisher and was lucky enough that it landed 
on a publisher's doorstep just when they were looking for rural romance, which was what it was. And I like to think that I invented it, even though famous people like Rachel Treasure and so on had come before me. That first self-published book that I wrote, it was called Changing Channels and I wanted to have a little byline on the front and it said, from the city to the country, a rural romance. And that was back in 2004 and there weren't many people we'll give it to a writing. Yeah. yeah, So I'm, you know, I'm claiming it. <laughs> I'm going to get you to keep talking because you've got to a point which brings us to what I wanted to ask you next, which is how you went about finding that publisher, how you approached them. What was that process like? Well, I have a lot of rejection letters, so I'd been doing it for a long time. And back when I was submitting, it was – you posted everything. You know, there was no emailing everything. So you posted off your query letter, your synopsis, your first three chapters, and you just posted it off blindly. And also the the idea in those days was you could only uh, post to one publisher at a time. That was the rule, you know. They didn't like you to do any more than one at a time. So you used to send that off and then months and months and months and months would go by and you probably wouldn't hear or maybe you did and it was no thanks. So this went on for a long time. So by the time I got to the fourth book, as I said, I I was talking to a bookseller friend of mine who used to be the president of the Booksellers Association and she's always supported me and she said, you know, your books are good enough to be on the shelves. You know, people believed in me when I think I sometimes didn't believe in myself and so... She also queried the publisher with my query. And I think when I sent my book in, it was to Harlequin Australia. That particular one was to Harlequin Australia. And they were just then looking for Australian authors telling Australian stories. So, you know, I've heard many other writers say this. You have to be able to write, obviously. You've got to write a good story. But sometimes there's just that element of luck too that your book hasn't landed with five others that have got that same theme and they're saying it's a good story but we've already got a book like that. So, you, yeah, there's that little element of luck in it too, I think. So finding the right publisher. You've got to find the right publisher. Obviously, you don't send, you know, a rural romance to someone who's publishing non-fiction or whatever. So you've got to do your research and I've done lots of that. I've done lots of research about where my books should go and who might be interested in them. So, yeah, no point in sending them off to people who aren't likely, at all likely to publish them. Mm. How about yourself, Victoria? How, how did you go about approaching Well, when I had my midlife crisis, <laughs> I thought my, my book should be on the shelves. And so I, I, um, I did a bit of research because, you know, I Googled and I found SA Writers' Centre, as it was then, now Writers' SA. And I worked in, a, in day jobs where I, I worked in politics. It was really hardcore, serious difficult, you, you can never make everyone happy and I wanted to write something that I w- wanted to read at the end of the day and I wanted to write romance and, and Writers SA or SA Writer Centre had a romance workshop coming up and I thought, oh, I'm going to do that and I went along and I did the workshop and it was with Trish Morey, who's a friend now, which is really one of those lovely things about the writing community and this was February and she said, I would highly recommend you join Romance Writers of Australia. There's a conference every August and you can sit in front of publishers and pitch your book to them. And I went, oh, so that's how it happens. (laughs) So I did. And between February and August, I wrote my book. I was working full time. I had three children. The youngest was 12. 
probably couldn't have done it when they were younger because you just don't physically have enough hours in the day. But I went to that conference and I, it's like speed dating. And there, are, there aren't that many opportunities to sit down in front of publishers and they say, what's your name? And you tell them if you can remember because you're so nervous. And they say, what, what's your book about? And so I did that. You have five minutes and there's a bell, then a bell rings and you move out and the next people move in. No pressure at all. And I pitched to Harlequin, who Tricia and I share a publisher. And so they said, oh, what's your book about? And I read out what it was about. This was my first book, Nobody But Him, which came out in 2013. And they said, oh, you would like to read that manuscript. Because I think timing and luck. You know, you have to be able to write a book. But they, their, their local slate of authors wasn't very big at the time. I think Trish was signed just before me. And before that, there were maybe two or three others, not many. Now there's four books a month, you know. So it's just, it, we, we were very lucky to get in at that time, I think. So they said, we'd like to read that. And I went home and I put the finishing touches to it, sent it off. And by Christmas, I had a three-book contract. And that was the first book I'd ever written. Amazing. But I, I was a professional writer. I was a journalist mm. and, and I'd done a whole lot of other things. So I, I say that because I wrote every day. So that muscle was well exercised. But... So I took the chance of, of pitching face-to-face to, -face to a publisher and, and that's how – and, and I still go to those conferences every year. There's one coming up in August and there'll be a whole lot of new writers pitching to publishers face-to-face -face like I did with the hope of catching their eye with a book. How about you, Sean? Do you – I mean, I'm going to slightly skew this because I'm asking about first books but you've written in so many different sort of genre spaces. Have you – stayed with the same publisher or do you... Oh, I've got so of, many. I've had so a many publishers. bit of a handful. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of HarperCollins books, about 25 HarperCollins books for a while. Yeah, they were a great publisher for science fiction and fantasy. But I, I, I really enjoyed listening to your stories because you both took routes, routes that I wouldn't take. I'm far too lazy for self-publishing and I was far too shy back then to get in front of a publisher. So, so what I did was the, the sort of tried and trued... Tried and trued? tried and true uh, method that came out of science fiction of writing lots of short stories. And it wasn't even a, a science fiction focused kind of process, but I, I gave myself 10 years to sell a novel. And I thought, well, I'll start by learning how to write better. So I, would, I wrote lots of short stories and I tried horror, science fiction, romance, comedy, erotica, all, all these things. And, and, uh, and I built up a, a quite a big pile of them and I didn't know what to do with them. And, one day I met, actually met a writer and I said, what do I do with my stories? And he said, send them out. And I said, I don't know where. And he said, doesn't matter, just flood the market. <laughs> so I flooded the market and like the next year and I had all these stories come out and a whole pile of rejections as well. So I started getting short stories published and the first place that ever published my stories promptly went bust as well. This is a time-honoured tradition in publishing. <laughs> but gradually they appeared and then they started to appear in magazines that paid and then they were magazines that were paying professional rates and then they were starting to get nominations for awards and so I felt like I was kind of creeping up a little curve through short stories and which made me feel more confident that I could actually I was actually writing better at that point and that was around then that I started writing my first novel but there were no there were no publishers in Australia at that point for science fiction and fantasy so when Random House announced that they were going to be starting a science fiction and fantasy line I immediately sent off the first three chapters of my novel which was not this novel called Metal Fatigue, which was about a, a city 
the last city left in the world after the rest of the world has devolved into kind of barbarism and uncivilization and and I thought that was a pretty cool fun kind of story and I sent it off and the next day I was driving to one of my part-time jobs and on Triple J the interviewer that the, the, the publisher from that line was being interviewed and the, the interviewer said well what kind of books are you looking for and she said perhaps it's easier if I tell you what kind of books we're not looking for we don't want books about the last city on earth, you know. I thought, oh, no, that's going to be rejected. Oh, well. And it was rejected. Uh, But then later on, um, HarperCollins saw the success of this line and thought, we're going to start our own. But they did it a different way. They rang the booksellers and said, who's new and interesting that we should be keeping an eye out for? And the guy they spoke to knew my work. And he was a friend of mine. He rang me up and said, if you've got anything at all, send it to HarperCollins now. So I did. And they said... We'd like to see the whole manuscript. And I hadn't finished it at that point. So I had to sit down and finish it and send it in. And they took it. And that was Louise Lutel, who's now one of the best sort of genre editors in the country. Amazing. She published my first book. Terrifying. But it was a long and windy kind of road that I could do from home. And that really suited me. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting listening to you all tell such different approaches because it, it seems like there's not a one-size-fits-all which you know, doesn't make it easy, but it means that if something's not working for you, maybe there's an alternative, which is a nice takeaway from that. Can I just add, I think, uh, I hadn't heard those two stories before, I think what it says is we all immersed ourselves in writing communities. Mm. You know, it, it didn't, we didn't sit at home and and get a bit paranoid about whether it was good or not. We went to workshops, we talked, we befriended booksellers, you know, that's a very specific sort of fantasy world, isn't it? The short story route doesn't apply for us, I don't think. But there are places to go to connect with writers and I think that's that was so important for me anyway. That was my very next question, actually, was... <laughs> what's sorry, Cass. Running this show. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been you too many times, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> they know how these things go. Who did you reach out to and how did you know who to approach in terms of support groups and and which ones worked for you? Oh, well, oh. for me it was romance well for me it was SA Writers Centre, mm-hmm. uh, Writers SA now. I'd highly recommend joining. They have workshops in a whole variety I'm, Disclosure: I used to be on the board, and I and I do work for them now. Um, as I think you do, you do too, Sean. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I used yeah. to be the chair yeah, of the SA yeah. Writer Centre for a while. I mean, it's it's a so great organisation. It's declaring conflict of interest here. Yeah. yeah, sorry, but it's a way I'd to recommend them too. And yes. I haven't ever had a role in this. So. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. But you can do workshops in any genre imaginable, from memoir to romance to short poetry. story, poetry, everything. You and you'll find a tribe of people who like what you like, mm. and connect with them. You understand the 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 real sadness of being rejected, or the 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 horror of labouring away at something that never feels like it's getting anywhere. That takes years. There's a great Japanese saying, it takes even a thief 10 years to learn her trade. And that was a great comfort. That's why I gave myself 10 years to publish a book. 10 years. Yeah. 10 is a long time. Yeah. And, but, and, and you need people to kind of lean on and to help in turn along the way. Mm. And you, you can learn from other people who are at the same stage as you too. And that's why when I joined Romance Writers of Australia, it's at the conference is a weekend of workshops and, you know, fun and a cocktail party. But it's a weekend of workshops. And I'm giving a workshop this year on dialogue, for example. And so you go and learn... It, and that doesn't... It's not just romance-specific, but it's writing-specific. And you get to hang out with a whole group of people who just talk writing for a whole weekend. I mean, 
Because you your family gets sick of it, really, don't they? Pardon? Your family gets sick of it. No, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, Sean, in, in, in your community, you know, it, it'd be the same sort of thing. You get to hang out with people who get you and know what you write and it's, it's really powerful. RWA is here next year, is that right? I yes, think it is. Yes, so yeah. go to RWA. doesn't matter if you write romance or not. It's a great way to meet other writers who are passionate about writing. It doesn't matter what you write. And, and the publishers who go there ju aren't just looking for romance. They are looking for commercial fiction. But they're probably not looking for speculative fiction. Science um, fiction romance is a big thing. Uh, Fantasy it's romance. True. Romanticy is the new yeah. big genre. Yeah, I know. Uh. Just Google octopus romance. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, that's what I did. I sat in, sat in front of a publisher and, and spruiked my book. And Tricia, did you say you did a course? Yes, so th that was probably... I was thinking on that, you know, where, where was my starting point? And it was what would now be an online course, but it was all by correspondence. <laughs> so oh, we wow. had to actually post everything off and wait for it to come back. And but my very innovative uh, tutor set us up with a a not a I was going to say Facebook Facebook wasn't even there a an email group you know it was some sort of a chat group that we mm. could you know communicate with each other because we're from all around Australia and so uh, you know we'd we'd share ideas in between so that little community was my first experience and then yes I joined SA Writers my local writing group you know like any. Anywhere I could be, where there were other writers, and and then I'd go and listen to writers like like now. And I, I because I was teaching, there was a wonderful thing called I don't know if they still have it. Meet the writers, where teenagers go to and they get all of these teenage young adult children's authors in, and the kids go from group to group to listen to those people speak. And I used to find that so inspiring. And then. One day I was at a, or one evening, at a teacher librarian conference and who should come along but this young, exciting young man who was writing all this stuff and it was Sean Williams. <laughs> and I just sat there and thought, wow, you know, like I, your, your talk for me was inspiring from another level of, of, you know, just learning that it is work. It is work to do this. We... You know, it doesn't just happen and you have to work at it. So don't give up mm. when the first rejection comes or whatever because you've just got to, to keep working. So surrounding yourself, I also belong to RWA. That was a funny story. I, when my first book was published in 2012, unbeknown to me, the publisher is what they did back in the day. They would send your book to organisations that had competitions. And so I got this email out of the blue from... RWA saying my book had been shortlisted in this competition and I thought it was a scam. I'd never heard of RWA <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is going on here? So I sort of did a bit more research and I think, oh, no, I think they're real. It is a real thing and my book has been shortlisted in this. And so I thought, oh, i better join. You know, this sounds like an interesting group and I found out more. I went, because my book was shortlisted, I thought, well, i better go. It was in Fremantle. So I took myself off for the weekend and one of the very first people I met there was Victoria Perman and you know such a wonderful community it is a fantastic welcoming community and and that book was my first book published Queen of the Road and it won 
the Romance Writers Woo-hoo. of Australia Award for, for a short, uh, not short, because I don't do short, um, <laughs> Romantic Elements. It won the Ruby Award, yes. So it was a very special. And look, I've, I've got to tell this story because she's so famous now. But uh, uh, not about Tricia, she's also famous. Oh. But, but Julie... <laughs> I thought you were going to tell one of those stories. <laughs> what um, happens at RWA stays at RWA. Yeah. <laughs> Julia Quinn was the guest speaker that year, Bridgerton. Oh, yes. Julia Quinn, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I hadn't read any of her books. I, d- I don't particularly read historical fiction unless my friends write it. I do love it and I love Bridgerton. Anyway, she gave a speech and one of the – she was so kind and humble and she said, as a writer you will never lose by supporting another author. And we thought, wow, she's amazing. And she'd already hit the New York Times bestseller list a million times. But anyway, Trisha and I were waiting outside the uh, hotel in Fremantle to go to the airport and there was this big limousine out the front, black, with a driver in a, in a black suit. And um, Julia Quinn walked out and she said, oh, are you going to the airport? And we said, yeah. She said, oh, would you like a lift? <laughs> so we went, okay. So we got in the car Honestly, she was the loveliest woman. She's from Seattle, so we're talking about Nirvana and, you know, all the bands from Seattle. She'd been to Kangaroo Island. She'd held a, you know, seen the seals at Seal Bay and she'd taken her kids and had a lovely time. She was the kindest person. So that's what happens when you go to conferences. And, yeah. Yes, it's true. And, and all the true things about publishing are told in the bar. And, and writers are generally pretty friendly and, and they might invite you to join them for a drink and, you know... Give you a ride to the airport. Give you a ride to yeah. the airport and it's amazing what you learn, the people you meet and become lifelong friends with, you know. So we're talking about early days and I'm just thinking, so they were great stories about you fronting up to publishers and sproking your first books and it all going well... Or not. Yeah, or not. Um, at what point does an agent enter the picture if he or she does? Or do you just keep handling the show yourselves? I knew I'd need to get an agent at some point because I, w- I needed to sell overseas if I was going to support myself as a writer. But while I was selling novels only in Australia, I was handling them myself. And I asked a lot of people for advice on how to get an agent and it was Kim Stanley Robinson who said to me once, ask 10 writers for advice on how to get an agent and you'll get 11 answers. Uh, But he said the best way to get an agent is to hand them free money. So if you've already got a deal on the table, then you can approach the agent you want and say, will you represent me? I've got an offer on the table. So I thought, okay, well, I'll wait until I've got done that. So I had, I had a series that Random House and HarperCollins were both into and I emailed a friend um, who was an American writer living in Australia for a recommendation for an agent and he said, try this guy. So I emailed this guy in New York. He hadn't replied in a week and I thought, screw you, dude. You know, I'm offering you free money. This is a three-book deal. And you can't even reply to my email. So at that time, the agent that everyone wanted to be, everyone wanted to be with was a guy called Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis, not the guy who wrote yeah, those not movies. Yeah, that's right, not him. So, but, and he, was, he had his email address online and I knew he represented a b- bunch of really great people. So I emailed him directly and said, hey, will you be my agent? And he, he said... You're from Australia. I, I have had no luck with Australian clients. And I'd done my research. So research is really important. I could say, I know who those people were. I'm nothing like them. And he said, okay, mail me the manuscript. So I mailed him the manuscript back in the day. He, Because he responded instantly. And he emailed me when the manuscript arrived and said, I'll read it tonight. And he emailed me the next morning and said, don't take this the wrong way, but 
you write like an American. And I said, great, because that's the market I'm writing for. So he took me on, sold the books. We ended up selling about 30 books together. But it, was, it wasn't until I had that money on the table. But there was a different time. That was 98, 99. I don't know how it works now. There's probably no right way, is there? Well, I don't have an agent. I, no. The market in Australia, and my stories are Australian historical fiction, so they're the market's small for me, and I don't care. I love those stories. I love what I write. Mm. But the market's small, and there aren't that many agents. And they struggle to make a living in this business too. So they often their lists are closed. So I, I didn't have one when I pitched, but I, because I pitched directly to a publisher, I have that relationship with my publisher. But having recently talked to them, they, they now say they are being bombarded with so many manuscripts. They don't have the staff. They're all cut to the bone as well, they are thinking about not taking unsolicited manuscripts now. And many yeah. publishers won't. Pay it's very hard. They well, say, say that. that. <laughs> if, you know, if you're, um, I don't know, famous sports star with a the manuscript, they'll probably read it. Yeah. Or if it lands on the desk, their desk at just the right time, just that right element time. of luck. Yeah. So, no, I don't. And, I, and now I, I have a really good relationship with my publisher and the idea of giving someone else 10% makes me wince a little bit. Because it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough 15. market. Or 15 even. Mm, yes. 20 sometimes. 20, yeah. okay. No, so I don't. I don't either. I did contemplate it after, a bit like you, Sean, after I'd been published. Mm. I thought, mm, you know, how am I going to manage this? Is it something that I can do or do I need help? And so I spoke to, you know, a, a writing friend of mine who had been published for many, many years and... I said to her, could you give me some feedback on, you know, an agent? And so her feedback was, what do you want an agent to do for you? So I listed all of these things that I wanted an agent to do for me. The last one was sell overseas, but there were about 10 things before that. Manage all the different bits and bobs. And she said, well, you're already doing that first 10 things for yourself. Do you want to share that money with someone else. And she said, yeah, if you, if you want to be overseas, you, you probably need an agent. But so, yeah, I don't, I don't have an agent either. I still my, have a good relationship with my publisher and between us we seem to sort it out. Mm. It does depend on the genre, I think. You know, you're absolutely yeah. right, yeah. Sean, that if your, mark, if your audience is in the States, you, you ha- absolutely have to, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a huge audience for science fiction, fantasy and all that kind of stuff, Star Wars books and so on in Australia, but the publishers where you make the money from are overseas for those. And, and I wanted to diversify and do lots of different things and an agent really helped me do that. But the two main reasons why I've got an agent, because that was a really interesting point, why do you want an agent? What do you want them to do? I'm no good with contracts, so I want someone to do that. Also, I like to be liked. So I like to walk into a publisher and go, here's my new book, it's going to make us all millions of dollars and I'm so fantastic and funny and let's go have champagne. And then my agent walks in and goes... Sean will not work for you for less than X million dollars and there better be a limo at every airport and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and they, well, currently my agent is a woman, she gets to be hated and I've seen her be really brutal, you know, screw an extra $100,000 out of a publisher where I would have gone, that's fine, they like me, give me 10 cents and it'll be great. So that's really, that, I found that really valuable. There cop, is, bad cop, right. Yeah, there is, right. A, I don't know if it's the only one, but it's the only one that I know of is Alex Adsit. Adsit. agency and she will just do one off you know so when I got my last contract I just thought you know I've been managing it myself all this time but it'd be good just to have 
someone else look at it just for a change. So that's what I got her to do. And then she, so you just pay a fee for that and then that's the end of your relationship. You know, like she looks at it, she lets you know and then you can walk away. So, you know, that's, that's another helpful thing. Alex is awesome and an old friend and a regular yeah. visitor to Adelaide and often pops up at Writers SA yes. events. So keep an eye on the program at Writers SA and Alex is incredible. Yes, she, she's very knowledgeable about the industry. Yeah. She's a lawyer too. I'm going to go off mine and Kath's script just a little bit because what you've been talking about, you know, that nitty gritty of contracts, advances, money, you know, when you get to that point, other than just trying to be the nice guy and get someone else to do your dirty work, you know, how, how do you go about it? How's, what's your approach? Once again, you need to do your homework. So, and it's really hard because none of us like to talk about money and, you know, mostly we don't ask each other what we get and all of those sorts of things. But you get a fair, you know, there's a few people that you can sort of get a fair idea of. And so, yeah, you just have to go in with that headset that, you know, I mean, most s contracts are relatively standard and in in the industry, no one, a publisher would lose their reputation if they were treating their authors badly. Mm. But at the same time, they want to make money. So if they can crib a little bit their way, of course, they're going to do it. So there are things in that contract that you just need to pay attention to. Um, but... For someone like me, anyway, I'm, you know, I guess I can't speak for the others, but someone like me, it's a relatively standard contract. There's not, you know, you can tweak little bits of it and and the more money that you make for the publisher, the little bit more that you can tweak for it. But And there are some things they won't budge on and others that they will. So, you know, it's just that you just put on you, like, my publisher, Joe is lovely and, you know, we have the same publisher and so we just say, okay, we're putting on our you know, working, you know, <laughs> publisher, author hats now and we're having that conversation and, yeah. Yeah, I echo everything Tricia said. I just would want to warn people, though, that you should never pay a publisher to have a book published. And there I are... I would have when I was first starting yes. out. <laughs> there are places to go for advice and Writers' Essay is one. The Australian Society of Authors is another. Yep. But there are some... Uh, it's not against the law, but what we would say is unscrupulous publishers or vanity publishers who will say to you, we'd love to publish your book. It'll cost $10,000. What they'll do is they'll print 5,000 copies and give them to you in boxes that you have to put in your shed. They don't distribute, they don't have relationships with bookshops. You're actually paying for the printing, but that's their job as a publisher. So I would just sort of make that general warning to people that if you are there's people here in serious pursuit of writing do your homework um, about who you want to pitch to and and don't you don't pay anything when you have your book published unless you're self-publishing yes, and if you are different. once again there are unscrupulous people who will yeah. you know like I was very lucky to find a, you know someone who was very good their uh, price for what they offered was minimal and um, it was print on demand, which was perfect. So I only bought the amount of books that I, mm. you know, knew I could distribute and sell. So it was that – that was a really good thing. So, you know, there are good people out there. Yes, that's true. But just be wary. And, and writers, as they say, will often have – sorry, Sean – will often have workshops on this very thing about self-publishing and what to look out for. And I would, don't, don't do it blindly – 
people can be preyed upon in any industry and this industry is no different, I think. I was just going to say that there are predators out there that can taste our need, like blood in the water. And, and when you're starting out, when I was starting out, I thought having a book published was the end of the journey, but it's really the beginning. And uh, paying somebody to publish a book is paying them for nothing, really. So being published by a reputable publisher, you begin a relationship that may last for decades because they're not buying my book. They're buying me as a writer and their investment in me as a writer will hopefully pay them dividends down the track. And even if this book doesn't sell, maybe it's the next one or the one after. So a predatory publisher doesn't care about that. They just want your money and they'll give you the book and that's it. Or they'll put it on Amazon and say, you know, go for it, that's it. And you'll be one of 10 million books published that day. So it's, it's tricky. Here you three are and you're all remarkably successful authors working out of South Australia, which I often feel is just not on the map for the, the big publishers in the eastern states, but it's worked for you. For a while there, just about every single successful fantasy writer and a very large number of kids writers were based in Adelaide. Yeah. So, but it wasn't something that was widely known. And people used to say, what's in, what's in the water in Adelaide? Yeah. It's huge here. And we didn't need to move to Sydney or Melbourne. Oh, there's a lot of pressure to sometimes. Yeah. But do you, are you guys ever tempted? Sorry, this is, I'm taking over the no, question no. here now. Are you guys ever tempted to move elsewhere? I'm not. No. <laughs> no, not at all. No. no. The wine and chocolate's too good here. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> I'd imagine that now the world is so connected anyway. There's not really anything getting in the way of being able to stay put. Do the graft because that's predominantly what writing is and then make those connections as much as you can. I think the Australian publishing industry has realised in the past maybe 30 years that people like to read Australian stories. I mean, you're all here because we're Australian authors, but previous to that, you had to send off your manuscript in a box to London or to New York. And so it, it, it doesn't matter. And, and our publisher says the same. What's in the water in Adelaide? We had a dinner with our publisher a couple of months ago and there was 11 or 12 of us around the table who were all published, you know, uh, and that's just with one publisher. So they don't really... I, I never... My first um, four or five... My first five books were romances set in uh, on the Flurio Peninsula and one on Kangaroo Island and I never, ever got any pushback about, oh, can you move it to Sydney or can you move it to Torquay or that's too cold. Or the cold. Hawkesbury or yeah, something. Exactly. No, yeah, exactly. No, never because... Any spot can be romantic. You don't doesn't need to be in a city or. But we have the first writer centre in Australia here. We have first writers festival in Australia here. We had the first professor of creative writing here in Adelaide. Adelaide's always been really progressive in terms of creative writing. It's a very very long history here, yeah. and sometimes it's a conflicted history. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sometimes Writers Week doesn't support our local writers, which is a source of immense annoyance. Even though it was started by local writers, but there's still a quite a really rich awareness of our cultural heritage here and yet so many people think they have to move to Sydney or Melbourne to become mm. a writer. It always puzzles me. Puzzles We're proof that you don't have to. Yeah, that's right. Look, I didn't even spoke, but my agent in New York, the Richard Curtis guy, I, that was all conducted via email. We never talked on the phone until he rang me up about the Star Wars deal and we'd already sold like 15 books by that point. He rang me at three in the morning. I was thinking, who's this strange man calling me in the middle of the night? So you can, you can do all this business now without even meeting people. It's... Yeah. Uh, now, I think we've had the wrap-up. <gasps> oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I reckon probably people are wanting to ask questions and some of them are questions that I've got here but you might as well ask. And yes, we skipped some. We particularly skipped yours because we thought you've got oh, it covered. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Hi, I'm writing children's stories, which is picture books, which is completely different but I just thought I'd come and learn something, especially about the hard slog and the rejections, which makes me think, oh, it's not just me. So my question was, how did you know the first four books were rubbish or did you just get rejection after rejection? Did a publisher tell you or did you just, yeah, work it out or, yeah? I had a gut feeling they weren't very, they weren't good enough. I mean, I wrote the first one when I was 15 and it was terrible, really. It was called The Slug in the Sky. It was really, really awful. It was a teenage sex romp in space, <laughs> which was the kind of thing that a 15-year-old boy would write. And I was trying to be Douglas Adams. It was well, so bad. It's Hang so on, bad. what was the slug? The, the spaceship. Oh. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it was nothing that interesting. So I knew that wasn't very good. The second one was another bad teenage boy novel. The third one was another bad teenage novel. The fourth one I thought was getting close, but I... I just had a sense that it wasn't good enough and I, and I needed to learn some craft and that's what I did by doing all the short stories and the practice. So that was my barometer. Once my short stories were getting published and were starting to do okay, that's when I thought maybe I've got the chops to be a writer. Maybe that's because I wasn't as confident enough. I also knew it would take a long time. This is the early 90s. This is back in the dark ages. It would take months to send out a manuscript and wait for a reply. But, and I wasn't brave enough to self-publish my first novel or to stand up in front of a publisher and say, hey. I, I wasn't brave either. I stood, sat there in front of the publisher and I just started to sweat. <laughs> and, uh, for, and, and she said, I would like to read that. And I, she said, oh, here's, here's my email address. And she dictated her email address to me. I couldn't write, write it down. So I, I gave it to her and said, could you, could you please write your email address for me? And I walked out and I had just, like, I was just had big stains under my armpits. And I called my husband and said, they want to read my book. And then I had to have a shower. <laughs> so I wasn't cool at all. The, uh, the other thing is you can, you know, once again, it's, there's a cost, but you can pay for assessments. And that's a really good way to get professional feedback, you know, make sure you find someone, like there, you can go through SA Writers or whatever, there's, uh, there's places where you can go make sure, making sure you, you've got someone who knows what they're talking about. That's not friends or family or someone saying, oh, you know, this is a great story. And they'll critique it for you and so if there are flaws or something that perhaps needs, they'll give you that feedback. So that's, if, you, if you're at that stage where you think, you know, I'm not sure then that might be an option. And co community, again, really, really handy. So, I mean, the beta readers and yeah. uh, spouses, well, not your mum. Uh, <laughs> but uh, somebody who's kind of in the same sort of space that can give you frank and not brutal feedback. And, and yeah. in South Australia, there are groups beyond SA Writers. For instance, there's the, what are they, Echidnas? The Echidnas the, group, the, Which yeah. is a children's writers group and I'm sure it's open to anyone. Well, to it's open for published writers. Oh, published. But there, sorry, are, there are other groups for... But, for but you would, writers. yeah, you would be able to find someone. And it, it's scary to put your work out before people, especially when you've been sitting in front of a screen doing it by yourself and you don't know. I still don't know whether my books are any good when I send them to my publisher <laughs> and I've just submitted my 20th... So I don't want you to think that this is like this that goes away. No. So it, it's a bit scary sending your work out, but just 
what have you got to lose? And if you want to be a professional writer, you have to do it. And the numbers are on your side. So, so out of every 100 people, one person wants to be a writer. But of every, every 100 people who wants to be a writer, only one person starts writing. And of every 100 people who start writing, only one person finishes. And of every 100 people who finishes what they write, only one person shows it to somebody else. So that makes you, if you've showed it to somebody else, one in like 100 billion or something. The numbers don't quite add up there, but... (laughs) That's why he's an author, not a mathematician. (laughs) Uh, The round numbers work better, I think. (laughs) I think we had another question just here. This uh, lady in the front. Sorry, thank you for that, because I am a writer. I've been writing for 30 years, but I'm a copywriter, so I help people with the words on their website. But I do think that it gives me that practice, and I've been... So I'm quite happy to share where other people are going, no, I don't want to share. So brutal feedback is something that I've been getting from from clients for years. So thank you so much for that. That's been really helpful. And while you're waiting on feedback, write the next book. Yes. And then the one after that, and the one after that. And there's a lady just here in... You're right next to her, Paula, this lady here with her hand up. Thank you. It's been great listening to you speak because I started writing probably 15 or so years ago, wrote a couple of books, went through the self-publishing, so I wouldn't do that again. What I, But I haven't written... I've only started writing again after about 10 years because I was busy with work and creating other things. What I want to know now... I agree with you about putting your work out there. Back in the time when I was looking at uh, publishers, they'd say no unsolicited manuscripts. Would you suggest just to keep... And one, I remember that one at only one time. You couldn't put, put it to another publisher. Oh, no, that's changed now. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, has yep. that changed? Yes. And what would... What, and it sounds like don't go through an agent necessarily... Oh, if you can get if, one, go for it. If you can get an agent. Oh, okay. If you can get a good one. Yeah. If you can get a good agent. Judas Brown or Alex or... Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay, so how do you Because they've know, kind of got a foot in the door. Yeah. How do you know in Australia who's going to be a good agent? There's an Australian Association of Agencies. I forget what it's oh, called, the is, AAA or something like that. Mm. If That's they're listed right. in that organisation, they're a good one. And, and go to their websites and look at who they, public, who they represent, rather. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's actually... I, I remember that. It's been a little while since I've been looking at this. And the other one is, do you think still just keep putting it out to publishers? Go to a conference and go face-to-face. Oh, OK. The ASA, Australian Society of Authors, has literary speed dating as well. Romance Writers has face-to-face pitching. I don't know what genre you're writing oh, in. Oh, I used to write in crime, but now I'm writing fantasy. OK. So. And there's First Chapter Fridays that some publishers run where you yeah. can submit your first chapter online and... My, my f- the woman who bought my first novel initiated those in Australia where you can, and this is for people, shy people like me, you can just submit the first chapter and they'll read it and go, yes, no, send us the rest, whatever. And That's Alan and Unwin. I think they still do it. They still oh, do it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's a good system. But you just need to go to their... Alan and Unwin. Alan and Unwin, sorry. Mm. They've got a Friday pitch. Yeah. But, uh, you know, sometimes they close it. But yeah, it's right. most Fridays. And, you know, each... A publisher, when you find a publisher who publishes the sort of thing that you're writing, they will say what their submission guidelines are. Okay. Well, that's, that's that's every, great. every publisher says they, they're not taking unsolicited manuscripts, but every publisher wants to find the next best thing. Okay. So. <laughs> and it's been fabulous listening to you because you've actually confirmed everything. So I had to have a bit of a laugh about the self-publishing route and then the... Yeah, so thank you.
Thank you. I think there's a lady next door, and I have seen you, so we'll listen to you and then we'll move it over to you. Oh, just quickly, I'm writing speculative fiction for it's a sci-fi with AI from a female perspective. It, it's kind of outside of the Australian market, and I've been a little bit nervous sending it to the US or London just because I feel, I mean, I'm a first, you know, emerging, first time emerging author, and I'm a bit scared even just to, you know, how it all works legally. Would you recommend still going through Australia first or, you know, just maybe even trying agents overseas? Are Australian authors protected? Is it something that we need to sort of look at from, you know, grassroots here and then go out? Or what would your suggestion be for that genre? I'd probably go straight overseas. And you don't have to worry about any needing legal protections or anything. Everything's copyrighted and good agencies. It's not going to steal your work or anything like that. And there are more agents overseas that handle speculative fiction, big and small. And, and go to the books you love to read in that genre and read the acknowledgements because they will say, I'd love to thank my agent, Bill and Betty Smith or whatever. And you go, oh, okay. And then Google Look Bill and up. Betty Smith. And, and I'd, I, I, that's what I did too. Who's and your covering letter, you can say, oh, I really like that book that... And my book's nothing like that or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, the more create connections between you and them. But in a way, kind of map out, you know, do your research and that's one way and it's an easy way because your books are probably at home, right? The ones you love? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the best kind of research is reading books. Mm-hmm. Reading books and reading author's notes. And... Now this lady just... Do you want to pop your hand up over there? <laughs> Hello. I just had a question about paying editors to edit your script. Most of the people I speak to are writing books. There's a lot of discussion about paying an editor even before they pitch it anywhere or even self-publish. I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's the same as finding an agent or finding a publisher. You know, you've, you've, you've got to have done your research and see... You have to be asking yourself, why are you paying an editor, you know... What's the editor going to do? I mean, I can understand paying for a like a manuscript script appraisal, which is more about the you know just that general. Is this a readable story? Is it you know is it something that might people might be interested in? Once you once you go down the path with an editor, they they may be going to make suggestions to change things that. Your publish if you if you got a publisher they'd say oh no we wouldn't want to do that I mean obviously in my situation I'm published by a publishing company I have an in-house editor who then edits we work together on the edits so it's a different situation but to pay for an edit if your if your goal is to submit something sure make it the best you can be try not to have spelling errors and you know the grammar's correct and that sort of stuff but if you've got a really good story. The, pu- the publisher isn't going to worry too much about what they can then get edited. I, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, it's a tricky one. Uh, and people get very nervous about making sure that's the best they can, they can make it. But if you over-edit it, you're going to, like, knock all the air out of the loaf of bread, you know. Huh. You, might lose, you might just take the spark out that makes that story really good and your story... Your voice. Yeah, your voice. And that editor, although might be experienced, might 
have experience in a different genre than you're writing. Mm. And it's expensive because their work is worthwhile. I'm not suggesting they're overcharging. They, they, they do great work. Um, but it's expensive if that's not your thing. So I would go through, I agree with Tricia, if, if my manuscripts have typos in them too because I just don't see them. But that if the story's engaging, no publisher's going to say, oh, the comma's in the wrong place, I'm not buying this manuscript. You know, <laughs> if they get to page 90 before they realise. But So the, make it the, the best... If the comma's in the wrong place in every sentence, then they're not going to take yeah, it. Exactly, that's, that's a different exactly. thing. So. so make it the best you can... My advice would be to let it sit for as long as you can and print it out in a different typeface. So if you write in Courier New or something, print it out in Comic Sans or something. Or even just do it on your screen. Yeah. Get it on the screen, just change I, the I font. See, I, have to, I have to hard copy edit. That's just my thing. Yeah. But that kind of makes it look like a new book too. And then you will see things and then read it out loud to yourself. And if you read by Kindle, send it to your Kindle. And read it on your Kindle because mm. then it's just like reading a book and you can make notes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot you can do without having to spend money on a professional editor as well. Just, just to give you an example, my historicals, when I was first published by Harlequin, they bought my rural romances and I didn't realise that they might be interested. I'd written some historicals. I didn't realise I might be interested. And I had pitched it to a different publisher and the publisher that I pitched it to really liked it but said that they, they wanted me to elaborate at the start of the story to, you know, bring it to this point where I had started. And so I, di- I spent a lot of work on it and did, did that. And then my harlequin said to me, hang on, no, we're interested in historical too. So mm. we'll read it. And so they did. And then when I started working with the publisher and the editor on it, they said, we really like this, but it doesn't really need to start until here. And that was my original starting point. So that first bit that someone else, who was equally as good, I'm sure, suggested. Yeah, so that's the, that's the thing with working with someone else on your story. You know, they may be going to suggest changes that aren't necessary. It's your story. It's still useful, though. I've used a manuscript assessment service yeah. in, in oh, conjunction yeah, so with my publisher yeah. and an ed- external editor as well. Mm. Just recently, a book that came out last year, I worked on an external editor, even though my publisher had an editor, because it was mm. the kind of editing they, they weren't used to doing. So, so they're, they're still really useful at every stage in your career. And sometimes, if there's an, a need that you can identify in your writing that an editor can help you with, it's still worth considering. I talked to you. I was just going to say that surely an editor would be advisable if somebody is going to self-publish. Oh, def- yep, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to, so many times if you're going to self-publish, you certainly thought, need an editor. This would need, needs an editor. Yeah. So in that case, Safe. if there is no in-house editor that's going to be approached, yes. that's when an editor yes, would come. Definitely. And yes, definitely. Yeah. Money well spent. Yeah. Yes. A good one. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think we've got someone else up here. Hello. As a young person who's at the very, very beginning, I suppose, of my writing journey, I wanted to... There are so many options and opportunities, and while I'm really excited about all of them, I guess I'm very confused about what to do in terms of, like, going to university or just attending courses or just reading books about writing and what you might suggest when there's so many opportunities available just for me or any other young writers. What's the need? Again, Tricia raises that amazing question every time, what do you need? 
when, when I started writing, I did enrol in a writing course, a TAFE writing course, which was a fantastic course, but was exactly not what I needed. I just needed to write a million words. And, but then later on, I needed to go to university, and that's when I got a master's degree and then a PhD. So if you can, and it's very hard to see yourself from the outside and your work from the outside, but if there's something that, if, that you think a university will help you with, then come and study with us at Flinders University. We've got, and if, particularly, particularly if you're writing in genre, because we're the only university in the country that has an all-genre creative writing team there. So, well done. Nice pitch. Nice well pitch. Well, uh, that, that's what I would have done. This yeah. is the university I would have gone to. Yeah. So now I'm working at the university. I would have loved it existed back in the 80s, and it didn't exist anywhere in the world. Mm. This is the only one. But if you, but you know, maybe you just need to write a million words, or maybe. I maybe I'll do both. Yeah, and I Thank and you. you know, like in my case, I knew I wanted to write a children's book, and I knew I couldn't. <laughs> so then I needed to specifically find something that focused on that, and it, it could have been university, but I was, you know, working full time with three children at home, and you know, I don't think I could have, and I didn't live in Adelaide, so I don't think I could have fitted that in. But that worked for me, you know. As you say, it's it's what stage you're at. But if you're just starting out and you can go, I, you know, that would be a great place to start perhaps. You know. There weren't you. creative writing courses around when I finished high school. And so I, I became a journalist. I studied journalism. That's my degree. But but now, again, I don't mean to do another shameless plug, but Writer's Essay has the manuscript totally. incubator. Yep. A whole year course and I've, I've taught it. And it goes through all the things you don't think you need to know, like... What, how, do you, how do you start? What's, what structure do you, do you use? What role does dialogue have? Setting, pacing, you know, all those things which you, 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 sometimes you know instinctively but it's like the scaffold and it will teach you a scaffold. But if you want to do a creative writing degree, I can't think of a more fun thing to study. Because you get to read and write, right? I know, it's fantastic. I know. It's great. And have <laughs> so lots of arguments about semicolons. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> right as I say, also does... It, it, I think we're back at community again. So uh, every writer's... Every good writing course in the country creates a cohort of writers that will come through together with the teachers around them and make connections and develop and so on and so forth. And Writers' Essay does the same thing. So I taught a year-long let's write a novel this year kind of thing at, at Writers' Essay and it was just a group of people that met once a month and talked about where they're up to. And that was really useful for some of them, just that on its own. So I, I recommend trying lots of different things, take lots of courses at Writers' Essay, join Writers' groups. Come along to open days. Come along to the open day at, at Flinders, at UniSA, Adelaide Uni. Look online. Yeah, they're, they're go to Writers Week and listen to writers talk about the process. And I, I, I still do that every year, and mm. I always come away with a light bulb moment. Mm. You know, it's always good. yeah. Go to book launches. So one of the things. Sorry, this sounds sounding like a Flinders University <laughs> plug at the moment, but our third year Bachelor of Creative Arts students publish a collection of short stories. The, which they write and they create and they publish it. We have a book launch for that in November. Come along to that. Anybody's welcome. Meet, meet the third years who've gone through our course yeah. who are no longer connected at Flinders and will tell you the truth about it <laughs> at the bar because this is where you find the truth, you know. This is <laughs> explore and experiment. Cool. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure I've got any more hands up and we... Oh, 
it just is so hard when you're young. Chuck it's, it up quickly. It's so hard when you're young and everything's changing and everything feels so big and distant and complicated. Yeah. But the best thing to do it is just to read what you love and write as much as you possibly can. And write what you love. Write, and write what you love. We all came to it through very different paths and, uh, and a friend of ours has written a hundred books for Mills and Boone and she was a, a critical care nurse for her whole career. Oh, yes. um, Amy Andrews, yeah. 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 She's, she's fantastic and she's written for... She's made a living out of her writing for, well, full-time now for years and years. But So she wrote medical romances, for instance, for Mills and Boone, which are which hugely popular all, all over the world. But she brought her real-life experience to those books and there's authentic, authenticity there that you can't get. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think, you know, people say write what, what you love but it's... It's more than that. It's sort of something that you're passionate about, something that you believe in. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something you know exactly because you can always research it. But it, you have to have that passion there. Because otherwise, imagine imagine if you wrote the a best-selling Harry Potter knockoff cynically and it wasn't what you loved and it was a huge that. success. I could do and that. then you'd be trapped. Then you'd be trapped doing that for the rest of your life. It would be awful. Writing's really hard and horrible sometimes. You've got to be passionate about it to sustain yourself. Sorry. That's okay. I feel like I'm picking on you, but you... <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, this, I'm a bit different. I'm writing a biography on my daughter's life who's passed away. I'm here tonight with my biographer. She's Sorry, who was it about? It was about my daughter that's passed away. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. I didn't catch that. Uh, yeah, about seven and a half years ago. So... What's happening out of this, I've had a lot of, I I call it manifesting, I suppose. We've actually, I've actually engaged a singer who's now also doing a musical theatre piece on her life. So we're, we're doing the book and the musical in tandem. Obviously, we haven't, we're in the process of finishing things and getting outlines and we've done a lot of interviewing and got a quite a big body of work. We're just sort of wondering where biographies sit now with everybody and, and the interest in the book industry but also um, the fact that, you know, true stories and, and whether people are actually grasping those and, you know, they want something quite tangible to um, relate to. And how these these two in tandem may actually work for us with the publisher, and um, basically how we how we go about it, <laughs> I suppose more than anything else. Half of every novel sold is a romance novel, but I think nonfiction outsells everything. So, and biographies yeah. are still hugely mm. successful, yeah. and publishers will be very interested in it. As to how to align a musical with a published mm. novel, I guess that depends on which you sell first. Yeah, so, well, this, this is our concern, yeah, yeah, because we want to obviously have something quite tangible to give to an audience when they walk out. And they both take a long time to make, so yeah. I don't know which you'd approach first. Look, I, I hate to be really cynical, especially when it's about your daughter, and I yeah. don't mean to be, but mm. the realities of publishing will be they'll say, what's the hook? Yeah. Okay. And I don't expect you to tell me now no, or us, no, no. but they'll say, what's the hook? Mm-hmm. So if if your one of the best-selling books last year was the young woman who skydived out of a plane and broke her back and learned to walk mm-hmm. again, what an incredible story, right? So that her her memoir sold buckets and won 
lots yeah. of awards and things because there was a hook. Yeah. And that's what yeah. they mean so by a hook. The hook. Yeah. So okay. think about what that might be and, and it's, sometimes it's called an elevator pitch, yeah. right? The elevator pitch. You're talking pitch. to a publisher okay. about. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a biography. Who is it? What's, what's the hook? Who was she? Yes. What did she yeah. do? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's something really important to nail down at, the, at, the, at this part of the process. Yeah, um, because we're not keeping it local. I mean, visiting international. So yeah, yeah. and so if it's, it's um, if, if you know, like as the others were saying, biography is very popular, but it's like fiction in that you've still got to have that thing that makes it stand out from all the others. Why yeah. does why is a publisher going to invest in it? And yeah, because bottom line is they want to sell it. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. All writers are thieves. And liars. And uh, particularly fiction writers, we lie for a Speak living. Speak for yourself. Oh, no, we lie for a living. We lie for <laughs> a living. And we steal people's time and money. Mm. And But the great con about being a writer is that the people we're stealing from feel like we've given something back. And for everything we've written and sold, we've either discovered or known what it is we're giving back to the audience and when we're approaching a publisher we have to be really clear about what is it we're, what is it we're giving to our audience and uh, whether you're writing biography or a Star Wars novel or a kid's book or a collection of poetry, what is it's it? It's a reader's it? promise, isn't it? it is, it's a contract, yeah. yeah. And that's you, everybody else here is thinking is that's a really fundamental question that should be evident in your elevator pitch, <laughs> which is really hard. It's really yeah. difficult. And it's so personal to you as well. And well, as it I is. said, I don't mean to be cynical, but that's no, what a publisher will ask. Yeah. And perhaps not in so many words. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. But good luck with that. That's, yeah. Can't wait to see the music. Yeah, there is one. Oh, yeah. We've got one more. Uh, just, uh, just a short question, uh, mainly directed at Victoria. I'm a Romance Writers of Australia member and I found... Good for you. <laughs> they're wonderful. <laughs> I found that entering their competitions have, has given me tremendous feedback and tremendous experience and some really wonderful confidence. And I just wanted to ask the panel, what's your view of competitions? I think that's something we forgot about, really, because I, th I think that's really important. You know, it's, as you say, it gives you that, it gives you a reason to write, you know, to practice, and if you get some feedback from it, even better. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, competition, I mean, that's what started me, as I said, I saw that competition, SA Writers had a competition for, a, mm. you know, a short story with a rural, you know, rural theme, but... <laughs> You know, that was the thing that got me started writing rural romance. So, you know, like, yeah, I think competitions are great. Um, I came second in the the year. I just signed a contract and I came second in the, I think it was called the first 20, first 20 pages of the manuscript. And the, the feedback was interesting because two people, so there are three judges and the way it works in romance writers is they're readers and then often the finalists will go to a publisher or someone an industry contact will judge the winner, but the first round is readers. And so I got two really complimentary feedbacks and one really terrible feedback. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> it's a, it was an excellent lesson because not everyone loves every book. Right. But I'm really glad you've had that feedback. And it's, it's scary at first, isn't it, to send it off? But it gets less scary, right? 
when I was starting out and writing all those terrible, terrible short stories, there was a, my sister noticed that I was writing and she sent me an, an ad she'd seen in the paper or somewhere. Distant Back past. of a comic book? Yeah, maybe? something like that. And it was for a contest called Writers of the Future and, and they had, it was for science, amateur science fiction and fantasy and horror writers from all around the world and they had four quarters a year and the winner, or there were three winners every quarter, all those three winners... Uh, got flown to LA or somewhere else in America for a black tie event to meet all the judges, which were the biggest, some of the biggest science fiction and fantasy writers at the time and writers that I absolutely loved, Larry Niven and Jerry Pennell and Anne McCaffrey and just amazing names. So I thought, well, what's the harm? I'll start submitting and and you, you couldn't have sold a novel and you couldn't have sold more than three short stories. And every three months I had this deadline to write a story and the, the, there was a word limit of like 25,000 words, so you would have been okay. Uh, and um, with my seventh submission, I got a finalist. I was a finalist, but I didn't, didn't win. And, and I was publishing short stories and I had one submission left before I was no longer eligible. And I won third prize in that quarter and got flown across to LA for the event. All expenses paid. They had this incredible workshop there. It was really, really, really amazing. And meeting those other writers, it was the first time I'd ever met writers like me before. It was a very profound experience. So, and that contest is still running and I'm now a judge, although I haven't gone across to LA for a while. And, and these things are out there and, and you know, it, it's a, a really powerful validation. Go for it. Write a mad short story or a mad poem. I keep looking at you when I talk about poems. I love your poems. Uh, I, I've won, I've won the, the inaugural Sydney Writers' Festival haiku competition. I'm an in, inaugural... I'm an award-winning poet because I sent them so many haikus. I sent them one every day. They eventually gave me a prize just to get rid of me. You never make me stop. That's right. Most persistent. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> an award for effort. So just try these things. You never know. One of them might stick. Well, I think, uh, sorry, and sorry. Fa Facebook makes these communities so much more accessible too. So Google, co contact your writer's centre, ask them if there's a, yeah. Ring them and say, is, do you know of a sci-fi community or a fantasy community or a children's book, children's book community that I could get? horror get, community. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're out there. And that, that's, they love connecting people with writing communities and you, you start connecting, you start reading each other's work and then you start... Someone has a bit of success and you can all feel great and then they share what they've learnt and, you, you know, it just grows organically. It's amazing. Yep. You don't have to do any of that. You can just be in your garret. I mean, you, you, you're out here now, so that suggests you're willing to come out of the garret a little bit like I wasn't. But, but being on your own and just writing your own is also okay, you know. And, and I think a really one thing we haven't touched on is deciding what kind of writer you want to be. I wanted to be a self-supporting writer and a self-supporting novelist, which meant I had to submit short stories and then novels or else, or else I was going to starve. So I, I knew there was a certain path that I had to follow. But you can, you can just write a book and only sell five copies and, yeah. and that's fine. I think that's a really good point about it. What, what do you want out of it? And I know some people want to write a family memoir and print 40 copies to give to their family. Brilliant. Fantastic. I wanted to be in Big W. Yeah. <laughs> because I had done my research and they sell a third of all books in this country, right? Mm. 
Do you have a cardboard cutout yet? That's one of my goals. Oh, I've, it hasn't oh, happened yes. yet. Have you had oh, one? Of myself? Yeah, yeah, of yourself. Oh, yes. no, no, not myself. No. No, no. One day we'll have one. Oh, I've got, I had a cardboard cutout of one of my covers, which was in a, oh. the book window. That was very cool. That's huge. But yeah. So I had very clear, but, but so I was older too. As I said, I had that midlife crisis of 48, and I thought, <laughs> I'm gonna, if I'm going to spend all my spare time doing this, I want to be serious about it. I'm, I did my research. Where do I want to be? What kind of book did I want to write? How could I learn to be better? All those sorts of things. But that was my road, and everyone else's road is different. And all our roads, all our roads yeah. are different here yeah. tonight. That's only three of us. Yeah. Didn't Stephen King start off submitting short stories to magazines? Yep, I think that's and right. And look at where Sean and Stephen King are now. <laughs> <laughs> my mate Steve. <laughs> Never met him. There's a writer in America called Kevin J. Anderson who's, who's written hundreds of novels. He, the only award he's ever won was the writer with most rejections at a science fiction convention. He had a stack like this high because he just didn't, he just didn't give up. And, I, and that's one of the keys, just don't give up. Keep writing, don't give up and keep rolling the dice. Every time you send something out, every time you publish a book or self-publish a book, it's a roll of the dice. And the more times you roll, the more chances you have to get a... I don't know. If I'd listened to that editor of Dolly magazine when I was 15 who rejected my poetry. What? I know. I would never have taken up writing years later. I was cleaning up my office because I'm in between books and I found the rejection letter. (laughs) That's beautiful. Oh, awesome. That's great. that That was all I knew. I knew that Dolly printed poetry back in the 70s. And so I sent my poems off. I had no clue about how else to be a writer. So you just try. Now, we've got one last question. We are going to make this the last one because we're going to get some books signed and head out afterwards. So, I'll try and be quick. I was born in the Soviet Union and grew up behind the Iron Curtain, but I decided when I was about five years old that I was going to travel every country in the world and write a book about it. So, I finally just been to Turkmenistan, which was the last UN country. And during the pandemic, I managed to stay home long enough to write the book. It's 100 stories, and it's basically, it, it covers almost every country in the world. And I've done nothing to, to get it published, mainly, I think, for the reason that it's 600 pages. So I, I do now have a hook, I guess, because, you know, there's not... That, I might actually be the first woman born in the USSR to travel independently to every country. So I think that's a, that's a pretty good hook. But then do I just pitch it as it is or do I try and make it like a... I don't think anyone would read 600 pages. There's 100 <laughs> stories, did you say? It's 100 oh, stories. I'd, I'd be getting some of them out there and saying this is part of my... This is, this is story 65 out of 100 and start building up a buzz. And I'm just really bad at, like, I don't like social media. None of my travels are on. Yeah, look, I would join the Australian Society of Authors. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lobbying organisation for writers, but it also provides free legal advice if you ever need it, just by the by. But they have literary speed dating. And it's, it's via Zoom these days. I would highly recommend doing that because they will have the kind of publishers who might be interested in a, a, a travel memoir right. kind of book. I think you need to. I think you need to just say that just exa- exactly as you've told us, face to face to someone. Because right. I think for you, it, it's the idea that they would latch on to, and then they might well w- th- work with you on how you structure something like that. 
you know, um, and how you volumes, yeah, yeah, coffee table books, yeah, because you know you want musical. photos and all that. So it's a very specific kind of story, but it's an interesting story. Well, it is, and, and I've studied creative writing yeah. as well at university. So yeah. it's not like I've got no idea how to write yeah. at all. But and 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 you put when you put your pitch together, you describe why you're the best person to have written the book, mm-hmm. and because you've actually travelled to all the countries. Mm. Yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, but I, I think a face to face would would be great for yeah, that absolutely. sort of story. What do you What do you think, Tricia? Yeah. yeah. Sean and I are in agreement. Agreement. <laughs> okay, you. it's probably time for us to wrap up. It is. I would um, think. You know, uh, one of the questions that Kath and I had was just quickly was about how solitary writing was, and yet you ended up with those pages of acknowledgements. And I think we've had that evidenced here, haven't we, about how a network and a community really makes a writer, you know, publish, publishes a writer. And collaborating too. It's such a, such yeah. a lesson. It's been mm. very grateful for your time. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for your great questions Thank and good you. luck with your writing. Thank you. Thank you.